Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Are you a wise man or wise woman today? Are you on a journey in this life to find Jesus, to know him as your Savior, to walk with him as your Lord? Is Jesus Christ the center of your life? If we are to be wise men and women, it can come only as we pursue Jesus with greater intentionality, focus, and love. Let's open our Bible now to Matthew chapter 2 and look at this powerful story of journeying to see Jesus. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Friday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully all are just loving on Jesus. It's a it's the Christmas season, and it's just a uh, just a time to just just rejoice, just remembering the birth of our Savior, and uh, you know, and having that that permeate the Christmas season. I mean, it's uh, for most people the Christmas season is just the time where you just have good memories, good childhood memories, and times with as parents with our children and. Um, there's just kind of a good vibe to the, the Christmas season, right? Uh, for most people, um, for others, it, sometimes it's a hard time, but ultimately Christmas is about celebrating the birthday of Jesus, celebrating that, uh, on December 25th, our, we celebrate the birth of our savior. And, uh, it's just a, uh, it's just an exciting thing. And, uh, and the more time we spend with Jesus, the more time we spend growing to know him, right, Anthony, the, uh, the more joy we'll have in it, the more we'll experience just the, uh, the blessing and joy of celebrating, uh, the birth of our savior, right? He's called our savior because we needed to be saved. Uh, we needed to be saved from, from our sin. Um, the Bible says that all human beings are sinful. In Romans 3.23, it says all human beings have lived a sinful life and therefore fall short of, of God's holy standard. And because of that, we need to be saved from our sin. We, we serve a, a holy God who demands justice for disobedience, justice for sinfulness. We have to be we have to be punished. God's holiness requires justice to be served for our sinful disobedience. And the proper justice for us as human beings is to be eternally separated from him. And the only place for that is in hell. But when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you trust in Jesus and rely on him, when you put your full confidence and faith and trust in him alone, for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, all of your sin, all of my sin at that point is credited to Jesus at the cross. And believe it or not, the Bible teaches, and we need to believe it, that we are righteous. It's as if we never sinned because Jesus at the cross, at that torturous cross that he endured for us, paid the penalty for our sin. And so when we believe 
that Jesus is indeed the Son of God and that he did indeed enter the world for us and live a perfect life for us and die that torturous death for us and that he is indeed alive and risen, right? When we believe that and run to Jesus, putting our full faith and trust and confidence in him alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul, God's justice is satisfied because Christ was punished on our behalf. At the cross, he took the punishment we deserved. It, it's incredible. It's the most incredible love story ever told, right, Lauren? That our God, God the Son, Jesus, would enter the very world he created and die on the cross for the humanity he created because humanity was sinful and we needed a savior. So that's what we're celebrating in the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's incredible. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So today, uh, Lord willing, we're going to finish up the, the three wise men in, uh, in Matthew chapter two. Uh, it doesn't say that there are three. Historically, we've called them three because they give three treasures at the end of the story. As you recall, they they open their treasures and present Jesus with gold and frankincense and myrrh. And, you know, and so there is this, you know, we do the addition as if, you know, each wise man gave one gift. And certainly that's a possibility, but the scripture doesn't say that. We know there were multiple wise men. There was at least two because it said wise men, not wise man. And I mean, but there could have been seven, eight, 10, 12. We're not told. Um, and so last time I think we got through, uh, we got through around verse four. So I'm going to go ahead and read it and then we'll get rolling and finish up. Well, father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and savior and master and King. And we thank you father for for Christmas and the celebration of Christmas, celebrating the birth of our Savior. Lord Jesus, we worship you and thank you. We thank you for becoming a human man for us, living a perfect life for us, dying a torturous death for us on the cross. And we thank you that you are alive and risen. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the scriptures. We ask that you give us eyes that see you and ears that hear you. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So I'm just going to go ahead and read it again, and then we will pick up where we left off. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi or wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi, wise men, secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. So we had gotten through around verse four. Um, we had we had talked about how that, you know, in verse one, we see what really makes you a wise man or a wise woman. And that is, are you, are you on a journey to find Jesus and to find deeper relationship with Jesus? These are truly wise men because they're almost certainly Gentiles. They come out of the land of Babylon, um, is when the, the Bible says the East, which is modern day Iran um, or uh, Iraq, um, Persia. And so they're, they're almost certainly not Jews. There's a possibility they could be relocated Jews, but they're almost certainly Gentiles. And they have a heart to know Jesus. They have a heart to worship Jesus. And because of that, God prepares a star for these, these men. It, it's, utterly, it's utterly remarkable, and it does show us that the lengths to which our Father will go if you have a heart to know Jesus. Do you have a heart to know Jesus today? Do you have a heart to go on the journey of life to know Jesus more deeply and more intimately because our heavenly father will go as far as to move a star to meet you where you need to be. Now, these men were, were uh, astrologers or astronomers. They knew how to read. They were educated. So they knew how to read the, the signs of the star and the moon and the suns. And they, they, they had an understanding of that. And so we see that, that God meets them where they are, but you notice where he leads them. He leads them, the star leads them to Jesus. Every move of God in your life and my life will always be to point us to Jesus, to move us to Jesus, to draw us closer to Jesus. If you believe that God is moving in your life, that your father is moving in your life, your heavenly father, and he's not moving you to Jesus, then he's not moving you, okay? Because the only move is a move to Jesus. It's, it's only in Jesus and through Jesus that we have any relationship with the triune God at all. It's only in Jesus and through Jesus that we can go to heaven. It's only in Jesus and through Jesus that our sins can be forgiven. No Jesus, no life, no eternity, no meaning, no nothing. That's what makes the Christmas story so exciting, right? That our Savior is here. And so, I mean, moving a star is kind of a big deal, like a, a star up in the sky at night. That's, that's kind of a big deal. And so they, they, they travel, and the star is, as we're going to see, is over Jerusalem for some reason. 
It's not over Bethlehem. Jesus is in Bethlehem, but the star is, is stopped at Jerusalem. And so they, they go to Jerusalem and they naturally go to where they could find information because verse 2 says that, that they came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, again, Iran, Iraq, uh, Iran is Persia. That was old Babylon. That's where they would have been from. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. We talked about how it's interesting because they're standing before King Herod, but they want to know where is the king of the Jews because he would have thought he was the king of the Jews. But Jesus is not only the king of the Jews, he's the king of heaven and earth. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the Lord of every ruler, every president of all time. Jesus is the king of the Jews. And we talked about how, you know, these wise men don't go to Herod looking for something from him. Oftentimes, you know, when we are in the presence of people of status or notoriety or power, you know, we, we play our hands, so to speak, so that we can get something from them. Um, not these men, because these are wise men, right? All they want to know is where is Jesus? And if you'll have that heart today, Peyton, where is Jesus? Then, then the Lord will move in your life as well, right? The single most important question in your life is, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? All I know is I need to find Jesus and I want to know Jesus and I want to worship Jesus. And that's the heart they have. Verse three says that when Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. It should not have it should not have it said that when Herod heard this, he, he rejoiced. Nope. When you hear the birth of Jesus, do you have a, a, a joy? It's become almost commonplace to us in the church today, right? But the irony is it's not, we, you know, Herod is a wicked ruler. And so you can almost understand him being disturbed. But it says in all Jerusalem with him, even the Jews are disturbed and it's their savior. We have Gentiles coming five to 700 miles. A Gentile is anyone who's not Jewish. And they have come to worship Jesus. They've gone on a journey of five to 700 miles to worship Jesus. And here are the Jewish people in Jerusalem, and they too are not excited. They're disturbed as well. Undoubtedly, they're concerned about, you know, um, this story and Jesus and this birth messing up their status with Rome or whatever. What is it that keeps us from Jesus today? Sometimes the, you know, we're disturbed when we hear that we need to walk with Jesus or someone's calling us or our ministers are driving us to walk with Jesus more deeply because we think it might cost us something in this life, right? And there's many Christians, Christians in the world uh, outside of, of first world America in the West who are persecuted for their faith, seriously persecuted, where we, uh, us here in America and in, in Europe and in the West, we really undergo almost no persecution at all. But it should have been that when Herod heard this, he rejoiced and certainly when Jerusalem and all the Jews heard it, they should have rejoiced because it's their savior. It says when Herod, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. So Herod calls together all the pastors and teachers and elders and 
deacons, all the, the theologians of their time, pastors of their time who know the Bible, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. And you'll notice that they know their Bible. They know what the Bible says. Verse 5, in Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. They're reading the Bible, okay? Um, they're reading in the scriptures what it says and their prophecies about Jesus, and they know what it says. I believe it's Micah chapter 5 that they're quoting, and they properly understand what the Bible says, but yet they have no heart or desire for Jesus when the fulfillment of this prophecy is happening. Do you see that? They know where in the Bible it says the Christ is to be born. He's about six, seven miles from where they are now. They're in Jerusalem. Bethlehem's around six or seven miles away. And yet they have no interest, no desire. As a matter of fact, they're not even happy about it. They're disturbed about these reports that the Christ has been born. And yet they know what it says in the Bible. The lesson for us is clear that oftentimes we can know what it says in the scriptures. We can know what the Bible says, and we need to know what the Bible says but we can still have no heart for Jesus. Do you have a greater heart just to be able to puppet the Bible and the words in the Bible or for Jesus himself? Sometimes as Bible students, you know, we can have a, a big heart for doctrine and for theology and we can quote scriptures and we, we have a greater heart for doctrine than we do for Christ. And it can be particular doctrines, right? Depending on the, on the bend that you have, right? Many can have a greater heart for, say, Calvinism than they have for Jesus himself. And it's evident to anyone that has eyes that see it. Now, listen, we need to know the scriptures. We want to know our Bible as best we can. You want to know the Bible from front to back. From Genesis to Revelation, you want to be in the scriptures, spend time in the scriptures, and know the scriptures. But the purpose of the scriptures is that you might know Jesus better, that you might love Jesus better, that you might know the love of Jesus in your life and in the life of others better, and above all, that you might obey him better. The purpose of the scriptures is that you might know Jesus Christ better and be more like Jesus Christ and to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ more and more and more and more. To be conformed. Romans 8.29 says that, that we were predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, Jesus. So when someone sees you or I, the outward expression of our life should be like looking at Jesus. Obviously, this is not the case in the church today. Um, that should be each of our desires individually and corporately to be more and more like Christ. And the scriptures are a tool to that end. The scriptures are a tool that we might be more and more and more like Jesus. C.S. Lewis said we need to be like 
little Christ, right? We're not going to be God. We're not gods. But the goal of our life is as Jesus lives in us as, as genuine believers in Jesus Christ, as Christians, that we would grow and mature as his disciples, as Matthew 28, you know, 19 says that, that we would grow to obey him in everything he said more and more and more and more. That's the purpose of the Bible. The purpose of there is, the Bible is not an end in itself. Okay? The Bible has given us so that we might believe in Christ, believe the word of God, and then live it out in our lives. It's not just supposed to stop with having an intellectual, ethereal knowledge of what they say. Make sense? And we see it here. We see this principle in here of what it looks like when you just know the scriptures, but yet you have no heart for the Christ of the scriptures, right? They know where he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. They tell that to Herod, verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi, the wise men, secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Now, this is dark because, because Herod doesn't really care. Herod is looking to kill Jesus. He is so maniacal. He is so crazed that he thinks, Herod thinks, he just heard the priests and the teachers of the law tell him what the Bible said, where the Christ would be born. And he somehow thinks, he feels threatened by Jesus, that Jesus, they're calling, they walk up to Jesus, uh, up to Herod, the wise men, and says, where's the king of the Jews? So they weren't there to honor him as a king. So he's threatened that his kingdom could be taken away. So he's actually going to try to have Jesus killed, we find in the following verses, starting in verse 13 of this chapter. It's crazy, Corinne. Uncle Dennis they actually, Herod actually believes that, that he could do something that the scripture says cannot be done. God has given his word and the Christ, Jesus himself, God the Son comes into the, the world. The prophecy said he was be born, but Herod believed that he could go against the scriptures or shortcut the scriptures or just make the scriptures invalid. It'll never happen. The Bible is the living word of God and nothing we do can get in the way of it. Our job is to go along with it, right, Melanie? We need to make our lives fit the Bible, right? We make our belief and our actions fit what the Bible says, right? We adapt our beliefs in our lives and actions and words based on what the scriptures say. We don't try to make the Bible fit what we want to do or what we want to believe, or what we want to say. So he finds out from them, he gets the information from them as to the exact time the star appeared, and, and, and it could be even up to two years ago, because you notice Jesus is not at a manger here. It's going to say, you know, they're going to get to the house, it's going to say, um, in verse 9, um, um, Verse, verse 11 on coming to the house. You remember he's born in a manger. So this is, this is, this is around-ish two years later. And we know that because um, it says in verse uh, 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under 
in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, the wise men. So the wise men tell him this, and so Jesus is here somewhere around two years old. So when you see the, the manger scenes with the wise men around the manger, that's not biblical. The only ones around the manger were the shepherds that we see in Luke 2. And that, I believe that's what's going to be the, the, the next teaching. Verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. This is Herod now. Herod is deceiving them. The facts are that he wants to have Jesus killed. He wants to kill this, this child because he's threatened by him. But he tells the, the, the Magi to make a careful search and then come right back to me real quick because then I too want to go and worship him. And so it's this massive deception. Um, you know, it's interesting, again, that the star is stuck at Jerusalem. Why, why did the Lord do it this way? And this is some of the hardest questions in our lives. Why, does the, why, why did the star just go to Bethlehem? These wise men had no interest in going to Jerusalem. They didn't want to go to Herod. They were there to worship Jesus. They were, they were looking for the king of the Jews, not King Herod. But yet the star is at Jerusalem. Because look at verse 9 says, after they had heard the king. So the Lord put them in a position that they had to go to Jerusalem and go ask where the king of the Jews was. They naturally go to the palace to get information. And we can see that God put them in the way of this. Sometimes the Lord puts us in the way, sometimes of just difficult people among godly people, because he expects us to testify about Jesus. They go before the king and says, all we need is Jesus. We need the king of the Jews. But what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to show you here is that after they had heard the king, they went on their way. Verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Why couldn't the star just keep going as they were journeying from Iran, just blow by Jerusalem and just go straight to Bethlehem. The star is moving now, so obviously the Lord had this star at Jerusalem to fulfill his own purposes. And it did say in the Old Testament that King Herod would have all these boys killed. And so it fulfills the prophecy but it makes me wonder, it makes us all wonder that about why the Lord would, would, would do it in this, in this fashion. Because clearly he could have sent the star right by Jerusalem, right into Bethlehem. Then they never have to stop and talk to Herod. And none of this evil, disgusting stuff happens like what we just read in verse 16, that when Herod gets angry, he goes and has all the boys two years and under killed. Now, uh, Joseph had received a dream, it says um, in verse 13. When they had gone, the wise men, an angel of the Lord, appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Jesus is not killed, obviously, where all the other boys two years under, two years and under are. So 
it's just one of those things as if the Lord just, just has the star all the time right over the house of Jesus, this doesn't happen. But we can see that sometimes the Lord in our journey and walk with Jesus and to walk more deeply with Jesus and to find Jesus, uh, beginning with our Savior and then growing to know him, he just... He consistently seems to allow us to be around very ungodly people for some reason. And uh, he has his purposes. Obviously, it's, it's made for us to grow in our character. And we just need to testify about Jesus. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. I said it earlier, we seem to have lost the vast majority of our joy that a Savior has been born to us. Just look into yourself. When I look in myself, I don't find myself overjoyed, right? Not just joyed, Esther, but overjoyed. Just so excited that we found Jesus and that it's Christmas time. And we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. Father, I ask you to forgive us. Forgive me. Forgive us as a nation, as a world, Father, that, uh, that we have not been, certainly I haven't, been overjoyed. Have not been excited that we get to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I ask you to show us. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us that we might come back to having joy and even more joy to where we even have over joy that we're celebrating and understanding and knowing that our savior has been born and that we might have this heart of the, of the wise men to, to journey to find Jesus and to worship him anew and afresh. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Verse 11, I'm coming to the house. You notice it's not a manger. I'm coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. What did that look like? Two-year-old boy standing there. You know, wobbling a little bit. And wise men come in and put their face to the ground. Hmm. On coming to the house, they saw the child was mother and they bowed down and worshipped him. That's the meaning of all life right there. That's the beginning of all life. Have you bowed your heart down and worshiped Jesus? Knowing your desperate need of him, knowing you're hopeless without him, knowing you're helpless without him, knowing there's nothing you can do except he's come for you and gave his life for you. Hmm. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. <clears throat> Being in this place of worship to Jesus, posture is important. If you ever did uh, screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, which is a, a very interesting book. It's the, uh, the senior demon screw tape is training the the apprentice demon Wormwood on how to lead a man, uh, humanity astray. It's a great book that teaches us how the demonic forces can try to 
influence us in our mind and thoughts. And uh, Screwtape calls Jesus the enemy, because obviously to the, the forces of darkness, to Satan and all the demons, Jesus is their enemy. The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three separate beings, all God. They're all the enemy of the kingdom of hell and the forces of hell. And these forces are real, biblically. But uh, but Screwtape tells Wormwood to... Uh, to make us think that our posture doesn't matter. C.S. Lewis said that we are animals as humans and what our body does affects our soul. So it is helpful. You don't have to kneel all the time. You should pray all the time. You should pray in your car, pray when you're taking a walk. The Lord is most concerned with your heart in prayer, not your posture. But humbling ourselves and kneeling down in a, in, a, in a place of humility and bowing our head, that can very much often help us to put our heart in a posture of humility. When you're, if you have children at home, you know, up to any age, whatever it could be, 10 years old, right? Before they go to sleep at night, Stephen, go, go to the bed with them and kneel down, right, with your children. With If you have two children, put one on each side of you and you're in the middle and 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 bow your head and pray to Jesus and with all of you on your knees before Jesus, right? On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. We don't worship Mary. We don't worship any created being. The only worship in all of your life, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. They all deserve our worship, and we will be well served to worship them all. Never do we worship the created being of any kind. Not the apostles, Peter and Paul, they were strong Christians, never worship them. Not Mary, incredible woman of God, never worship. They bowed down and worshiped him. Worship Jesus today. Then, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. This is an incredible, incredible statement because when you go seven, seven, eight hundred miles, I'm sorry, five to seven hundred miles, the journey from wherever they were in the east around Iran, um, Syria, Iran, Iraq, and you go on this five to seven hundred mile journey, you would think they would go to get something from Jesus. You would think they would go to receive something. Even us, myself, in the vast majority of our prayers, we pray to Jesus, we pray to our Father, we pray to the Holy Spirit about things that we want for us, blessings we want for us, right? Things to be done in our lives or the life of others. And that's good. The Lord tells us to do that. But they don't go asking for anything. They go, they, they make the journey, they worship, and they give to Jesus. Then they open their treasures. What do you do with your treasures? What do I do with my treasures? What do you treasure? Your time, your gifts and talents, and your money. These are your treasures, right? What do you treasure the most? What do you do with it? Do you, do you, do you lay it at the feet of Jesus? 
Do you have a habit of using your time, talents, and treasures, Tony, for Jesus, for the advancement of the kingdom of God, for the, for the advancement of the gospel of God? How do you use your treasures? Because if you want to be a wise man or a wise woman, and you're going to go and journey this life and growing to know Jesus and live for him and obey him more and more and more and more, you're going to have some obstacles, right? But the Lord will continue to move your circumstances if you have this heart to know Jesus. They may not always be easy. They may actually be, he may put you in the way of very, very difficult circumstances in his sovereignty. But we're promised in Romans 8, 28, that, that if we love him, all things will work together for our good. Even our mistakes will work together for our good. And what's our good? That we might know Jesus more, know his love more, love him more and obey him more, and that we would be more like him. That's what's good for us. But if you have this heart, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have to have a lifestyle. You want to begin that today where you just a little bit more start using your treasures for Christ. Your time, your gifts and talents, the things you're good at, and your money. Now, again, normally we use our time for the things that we enjoy. We use our talents to, uh, to, to, to make a good living for ourselves, to, to create a good life for ourselves, right? That's how we use our talents, right? Um, we use our talents to do our hobbies and the things we enjoy. And obviously we use our money, you know, to, to have the kind of lifestyle we want to have. But all of these things are given us by our Heavenly Father, not for ourselves, but for Christ, now, of course, you you know you need to work and do you know do your job, right? Um, of course, you want to use your time and you know accordingly to do your responsibilities and your money as well. But you want to increasingly use them more and more and more for Jesus and for the advancement of His kingdom and the advancement of His gospel. Then they open their treasures. Are you going to open your treasures this Christmas? And use your time, talents, and money more for the advancement of the gospel of Christ? Or will we just continue to use them on ourselves almost entirely? Forgive us, Father. You want to be a wise man or a wise woman? Then you need to open your treasures. Whatever you treasure most, you want to begin to use it more and more and more for Christ. For the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ our Lord for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The more you use your treasures, whatever you treasure, and again, all of us treasure our time, our gifts and talents, what we're good at, and our money. The more we open those up and use them for Christ, the more wise men and women we will be, and the more we'll grow to know Jesus then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. These are very valuable. We want to consistently give our best to Jesus, not our worst, right? Um, you want to give the best part of your day to Jesus. You want to give the best part of your time and heart and talents and gifts to Jesus. You want to give the best of your money to Jesus, not the leftovers, right? Verse 12. And it's interesting because, you know, Herod gives these instructions and he had this diabolical scheme that the wise men would come back and then he'd go and 
go and have Jesus killed, but it can't happen because the word of God said that Jesus would be crucified. He's the savior of the world. So it doesn't matter what anyone does. God has given his word and no one can get in the way of that. And that's the same in our lives, right? Um, nothing can come into your life except by the will of God or by his permission. Okay. Um, and even the, the difficulties and sufferings that come into our lives, as Jerry Bridges said, another incredible Christian author, he said, even, you know, even the things that God allows in our lives, meaning anything bad that happens to us, he knew what would happen. So it has at least his passive approval. Since he knew what was going to happen, he could have stopped it, but he didn't. So it has at least his passive approval. Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Trusting God. I would, I would recommend it for, uh, for everyone. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So all that Herod planned did not come to pass. The Lord gave them a dream, and in the dream they were told to go another route. And so they return to their country. These Gentiles go back to Syria, Persia, Iran. Iran is Persia um, or Iraq from that area. They make the journey back to five to 700 miles. Having seen the Savior. The Jews five to seven miles away didn't see him, didn't care about him. Wherever you are today, it, it, Jesus is not about a church building, although going to church is a good thing. Wherever you are today, if you'll give your heart to Jesus Christ, the Lord will, will lead you, right? It's not about your geography. They're seven miles away from the Savior and no one cares, but men 700 miles away, the Lord leads them to Christ, and they're not even Jewish. They're Gentiles. Gentiles, again, means non-Jews. When the, prefer the chosen people of God, they didn't care for it. But these wise men, they went on this incredible journey. So the question again is, are you going to be a wise man or a wise woman this Christmas? Are you going to go on that journey? You know, if you've never received Jesus Christ, the, the journey begins with humbling yourself before Jesus admitting that you are a sinful man and woman and you are hopeless, helpless, and desperate. There's nothing you can do, only eternal hell awaits. But in that position, you humble yourself and call out to Jesus. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You call out to him and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And I believe that you came into the world and lived a perfect life for me and died that torturous death on the cross for me. And Jesus, I believe you're alive and risen today. And Jesus, I ask you now, I humbly ask you to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin. Jesus, I'm desperate for you. I know that I can do nothing without you. I cry out that you would be the Lord of my life and save me and you alone. Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and confidence and hope in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. 
Have mercy on me, Lord Jesus, a sinner. If you'll come to Christ with that heart, it's not the words that save you. We use the words to communicate. But it's Jesus that saves you. But if you want to begin this journey of Jesus with Jesus, you have to know your need of him, your need of a savior, of him to save you from your sin. And then once you've done that and you are a Christian and you are trusting in Jesus Christ today and relying on him, you want to spend your life in this journey of worshiping Jesus, of using your treasures, your time, talents, and money for Jesus and his kingdom and his gospel. You want to spend your life growing to know him, growing to love him, growing to obey him, and growing to be like him. That's the meaning of what it means to be a wise man or a wise woman. Father, we love you, we bless you, we thank you, and we praise you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the living word of God. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We thank you for this teaching, Lord, on the, on the wise men coming to Jesus. Father, I ask you to help us to be wise men and wise women today and to journey after Jesus more and more and more and more. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We praise you. We ask you to help us. Help us to have more joy, to walk in more joy, to experience your joy, not only this Christmas, but all the days of our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we go forth. Seal the message to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.